Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the growth and development of teamwork, leadership, and culture. Hi, my name is Greg Gregory, certified speaking professional, founder, creator of the Teamwork Advantage. We're excited to bring to you weekly guests that bring ideas and strategies that you can use in your personal life and your professional life that can help you grow as a team member yourself, help you lead teams, build teams, and these teams can be even your church choir, your college team, your HOAs, all of these organizations struggle with a lot of the same issues. So we're joined today by a gentleman that, um, while I've heard of his name before, we had never met. I have met his father. Let's talk about that a little bit today as we go along. David Covey is the author of the best-selling book, Trap Tales, Outsmarting the Seven Hidden Obstacles to Success. He's also the third son of Stephen R. Covey, the author of the groundbreaking book and one of my Bibles, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. David earned his MBA from Harvard University and spent some time working with Procter & Gamble and American Express. Now he is the co-founder, serves as the co-founder and CEO of SM Covey, a global licensing company that's scaling with work and intellectual property, content experts, and helps distribute their content globally. And we're going to talk a lot about a lot of different things today. So strap it in. Let's get ready to have some fun. David, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Appreciate being on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited about all this because as we start to get into everything and learn about your business and everything else, um, tell us how you got to where you are. Now, we know that your father is, is, is the famous one in all aspects from everything that he did, but how did, how did David get to where David is today? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up and my father was a professor growing up uh, and he was a professor for 25 years and And then when I was 17, he decided to break out at age 50 (laughs) and and leave being a professor and and, uh, starting up, setting up his own business. And I became fascinated with that, you know, that he would do that kind of as a second career, you know, because he had a really good career with, you know, being a professor and being in academia and doing some consulting and so forth. Uh, but he decided to risk it all. He just really wanted to reach more people and Mm -hmm. he went out and built this a business called Covey Leadership Center, which then later became Franklin Covey. So I was really fascinated by content, you know, and and, uh, I'm kind of a content junkie. That's why I like taking content, not just Franklin Covey content or content for my family, but content, the best best in class content and taking Mm -hmm. that content and helping these IP owners, these intellectual property owners, you know, go global with their content. Because most people have, uh, I mean, a lot of people have really good content, but they have no idea how to distribute it, you know, how to monetize it and, and how to, you know, how to uh, have it uh, grow successfully. And so uh, anyway, so I, I, I got involved uh, at the company after, you know, so I I worked for Procter and Gamble out of, out of college. And then I went to business school and then I decided, you know, to come back to what was then a small, training company called Covey Leadership Center. And, 
and I ended up uh, selling, you know, the seven habits and other Franklin Covey uh, content. And, uh, and then I had this opportunity to work internationally. Uh, and I'm very adventurous. My wife is very adventurous. My wife was six months pregnant. And I said, Hey, how would you like to go live in Australia? <laughs> and she was like, I'm there. <laughs> and so six I thought months, you were going to tell me you went skydiving in six months. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So anyway, uh, you know, we moved to Australia and I kind of caught the international bug. I loved okay. my time in Australia. And then I spent some time in Japan and time in London. And, and before you knew it, I was kind of the international guy and I was managing all the licensees for Franklin Covey. And then the idea came is, hey, you know, if I'm doing this for one brand, why not do this for a lot of brands? Because we kept having, I kept having people approach me saying, can you help me help my program go, you know, global, just like you've done with Seven Habits. And I said, I can't, I work, I work for Franklin Covey. And so that's kind of what created this uh, SM Cove business. SM is the name of my business partner, Stefan Martiques. He lives in Dallas, Texas. And, and he was on the Covey, or the, the Franklin side, am I right? No, he, he uh, actually, what happened is I recruited uh, Stefan uh, to the Franklin Covey company and uh, when we were going to go uh, in Europe with licensing. Okay. And he's from Europe. He's from France uh, originally. And he's had a lot of experience in Europe. And I said, hey, help me grow our network in Europe. Okay. And so uh, okay. he ended up doing that. And then we ended up uh, being business partners now. That's awesome. And I, I don't want to miss this because your dad started the Covey leadership aspect when he was 50. And tell everybody how many kids he had at the time. Nine kids. Yeah. Nine. So when I started my business, I was 44. And I had seven kids. I only wanted to have five. My dad said, if you want to stay at the company, you know, you got to have seven. You can't, you can't, can't work for a seven habits company. Is there something about, kids. I mean, your, your book is <laughs> the seven hidden obstacles, the seven habits of highly effective people. What is the secret behind seven? Is there something there? I, I don't know. I mean, look, look into the Bible, right? You know, they have the seven days of creation. I mean, I, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a magical number. There's okay. something about it, but yeah. uh, you can't really be a covey and have like, you know, the five traps, you know, or the, yeah. the five habits, you know, you gotta, you gotta have the seven. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of this right now. One of the things that I was noticing and I've heard about is something you refer to as a Renaissance leader. Yes. What, what, I mean, and, the word and, Renaissance and leader, and I kind of get it, but where, how do you define it? Yeah. So uh, yeah. So a Renaissance leader is, I would, I would, you know, that's really a 21st century leader. It's leaders that we have now, you know, and if you, if you look at some examples uh, I think that uh, Steve Jobs represented some of the, some of the characteristics of, a, of what a Renaissance leader is. He, he really represented this idea around focus. You know, he was maniacally yeah. focused and, and he saved Apple, right. His own yeah. company, when he came back, it was totally an unfocused company. He forced it to be refocused. You know, uh, the famous story that you can read in Walter Isaacson's biography on Steve Jobs is his first two months, you know, he was the interim CEO, not the CEO yet, yet. but he went around and he drew a two by two matrix and said, we're going to create four products, two products for the consumer and two products for the professional and the rest of it goes away. And everybody flipped out, you know, but he focused, uh, he allowed Apple to be focused. And so, uh, so I really admire him for that. You know, he's not, wasn't necessarily a, a nice boss or, or maybe even necessarily a good person. And a lot of times you think, oh, these people have to have all these perfect characteristics, you know, 
no one does, you know, we're all flawed in some way. Oh, absolutely. And so I think Steve Jobs is one example of that. I think Indra Nui, uh, I just had an opportunity to meet Indra Nui. She was the former CEO of PepsiCo. And she talks about, you know, what some of her work that she did. And one of the things that she did that I thought was remarkable is that she wrote letters to all of her top senior people, to the parents of those top leaders and wrote about what uh, unique contribution their son or daughter was having in the company and, and how proud uh, Indra was to have them on the team and so forth. <laughs> so, so, wow. it, so, and, and it was like, you know, she was saying, you know, I, I just, I just did it out of kind of instinct and, you know, it just felt like the right thing to do. But she said it was like one of the single greatest leadership things I've ever done because not only could these leaders never criticize me because they would go back home and they would say, Hey, how's Indra? You know, she's so nice. You know, and then they had the letter and, and then the parents finally, you know, as it is a parent, you never get a lot of paydays, but the parents, you know, to have that payday of having somebody acknowledge their son or daughter, you know, for these attributes, you know, they they were all huge fans of Indra, Uh, but it was just, you know, just a really, really genuine thing. I did. I think that she's, she, you know, she, she's, she's an example of a Renaissance leader. Uh, and that's, that's really interesting that we talk about it because has the Renaissance leader changed in your eyes with this pandemic? It's a really good question. Uh, I mean, I was going to say some of the Renaissance leaders in the past, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, uh, Galileo. Uh, I was looking at Leonardo. He had seven principles that he lived by. And, and this is in the 1500s. Tell me if this doesn't sound applicable today. Let me read these curiosity okay i think that's important uh independent thinking yeah refine your senses yeah enhance uh embrace uncertainty yeah whole brain thinking art and science mind and body care and interconnectedness i mean that was written in the 1500s more than 500 years ago all of those principles i think are very very applicable today i have my own list if you want to hear my list of seven The seven traits of a Renaissance leader. So uh, focus is one. I I mentioned Steve Jobs is a good example of that. Reinvent. Uh, I think that uh, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos are good examples of that. Experiment. It's so important that you experiment and you try new things. And uh, Oh, yes. And don't expect to succeed on them all either. Yeah, of course you're not. You got to learn to have a growth mindset. You know, you look at the failures as a way to grow and learn mm-hmm. instead of a fixed mindset, you know, Carol Dweck, you know, is famous for that fixed, fixed mindset or growth mindset. Uh, Zen, you got to be in this place of Zen, you know, where you have your Zen place. And uh, I talk about the trigger trap, you know, you and I were talking about that briefly mm-hmm. and, and we're going to you know, get to got, the traps in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You got to give it your Zen place. Uh, and then uh, collaborate, you know, it's so important. It's not just about you. It's about collaboration uh, wholeness. We are whole people. And a lot of times, you know, uh, people think that we're fragmented people, but we're not. And then we got to elevate. We got to elevate our game. We got to elevate ourselves, you know, to the next level. So anyway, those those are my seven characteristics. Probably not as good as Leonardo's, but uh, but I think those characteristics represent yeah. what we need in leaders today. Yeah, and, and a, lot, a lot of the between the two of those, I can tie them all back to I don't know what have we got. We got. Uh, to be proactive and, you know, begin with the end in mind. And a lot of that still comes back from the seven habits too. 
no so. question about it. I think seven habits is, is really all foundational stuff. It's, it's classical stuff. You oh, know? It, is. It, just, it does just doesn't go away with time. And, and it's, it's about building uh, your character and the, and your competence and the person yeah. you, who you are. So yeah, I, I, I think it's all foundational. I was doing a, um, in the mortgage business before I got into speaking and uh, working with teams. And I was doing a loan application with a gentleman one day, a senior manager with a, a, a big fortune 500 company. Yeah. And we got talking and something was said. And I talked about the seven habits of highly effective people. And I said, have you read that? He says, read it next to the Bible. That's required reading in our company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well, it, it, for, for, for me growing up, you know, I had to be proactive at age three and think win-win at age four, listen empathically at age five. So it was, for me, it was a philosophy. So uh, I, I, absolutely. I want to know how you sharpened the saw at seven. <laughs> how, how, at, at, at age seven, you mean, or what? Yeah. Well, you said habit seven, sharpen the saw. So I figured you were seven years old when you had to sharpen All it. All right. Well, actually the seven-year-old story is with my brother, Stephen MR. He's the green and clean. You remember the green and clean yes, story? Yes, the green and clean yeah. story. Yes. So, uh, but he, he wants it to be known that he was only seven years old, you know, when he was given stewardship uh, for the whole yeah, lot. But he had to mow the yard, <laughs> clean and green. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for anybody who's listening is going, what are they talking about? Yeah, got to go get the stories on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's one of the classic stories, but it was just basically the story of my brother that, you know, my father was teaching stewardship delegation. And, uh, and when you give someone a stewardship, you don't supervise their methods. You know, you hold them accountable for the results and, and let them, you know, choose the different methods that they want to choose. And, and it was, it was a good lesson for, for my brother, Stephen, and, and hopefully for a lot of other people that have read the story. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's a huge part of what I talk about today about vulnerability and leadership too. allow yourself to be vulnerable, step away, let the people go and be able to do some things that way. So there's, there's a give and take push uh, goes with that. No question. And, and it is really hard because, you know, all of us have egos and all of us have kind of uh, our way of doing things. And sometimes we think it's the superior way to do things. And, mm -hmm. and when someone does something different, you know, you're thinking, you know, it's very hard to kind of step back and, you know, just let them go. And everybody has their own approach and their own methods. And you have to just respect that, you know. And that comes up a lot when we're in volunteer organizations and committees. <laughs> no question about it. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, the biggest thing is, is, is to try to say, Hey, look, what is the desired results? What are the outcomes we're all seeking together? Mm -hmm. And then let people come up with the methods. Cause mm -hmm. it, you know, my, I, one of my favorite quotes, from my father is, uh, you know, if you supervise people's methods, you become responsible for the results. So wow. you can never supervise people's methods. Wow. That's a great quote. I don't think I've ever heard that one. Yeah. But yeah. think about it, you know, if, if you're overseeing oh, and micromanaging someone and the way they're doing it, they're like, okay. So they basically just give up their, you know, sense of control. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll do what you said. And then of course they kind of want to just go out and do what you said and make sure that it fails so they can say, Hey, I did, I did what you said, boss. And it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> or when it doesn't work, they're going to take you down with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the traps. Okay. You've yeah. got the book that's called trap tales yeah. outsmarting. That's the key word here. Not, not conquering it's outsmarting the seven hidden obstacles to success. So these can be applicable to individuals, 
to the organization, all the way across the board. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, so, and people you ask, you know, are there the more than seven? It's like, yeah, of course, there's more than seven. But I, I tried to whittle it down to the mm -hmm. seven most common workplace traps yep. that we face. Not, not only just in the United States, but globally. Yeah. Now, you also use the term called a trapologist. Yeah. So let's define what a like trapologist is. Yeah. So a trapologist is somebody, you know, it's a leader or is a person who, uh, who can spot and avoid staying out of the traps. You know, so one of the best ways that we can learn about uh, the future is not to repeat it, right? <laughs> we can learn vicariously. And most of us, some of us are very stubborn. We have to learn it for it. And a lot of times I, I include myself in that category. Sometimes you have to learn the hard lesson yourself, but it would be better if we can learn vicariously through other people's experiences, you know, to avoid say these traps or avoid, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. make, making mistakes and so forth. So I think uh, what I wanted to bring to light with this book and my co-author, Stefan Mardiques is to show that there are these traps that we can fall into. And a lot of times people don't even think of them. They're not even aware of really. Okay. That's a trap. And in fact, even labeling it a trap makes people feel better because they can feel like, okay, well, I'm not just a total idiot. You know, there, there actually was some maybe forces that were kind of, you know, pushing me towards you yeah. know, some of these traps. And I think there well, are. And as, I, as we said, before I, we got started, I've gone through the seven uh, traps and at one time or another, I've, been in every single one of those traps yeah and sometimes multiple ones at a time and so let, let's kind of go let's dive into the seven traps it's, it's fascinating to listen to this and hopefully you'll be able to give us trap quick tip trap quick tip to get out of that trap or I, I, either I will. get out of once we fall in or to avoid it altogether i okay i will and i'll do that for everyone so the first trap is the busyness trap and this is where we are drowning in the thick of thin things. So think about what we have around us. A lot of the stuff that we have around us is, is minutia. It's not important. It's not, you know, it's not essential. And we're trapped in it. You know, a lot of social media. And again, I'm not against social media, but social media, you know, excessive internet, surfing, you know, we can fall into this, uh, this, this trap of, of being busy, doing a lot of things, but not really being involved in significant work. That and kind so, of ties into something called habit number three, right? Yeah. Put, yeah. put, put first things first, mm -hmm. you know, prioritize. Oh, and, and the word I would use for it is focus. You know, yeah. it's, it's the same idea, but uh, you have to be able to be focused and you have to learn to say no. That's the biggest challenge is that most people are, uh, they have a hard time saying no. And so what ends up happening is they end up taking on too much and then they end up becoming overwhelmed. And then when you have too many things to do and too many things on your plate, it's like trying to juggle, you know, 10 balls, all the balls are going to fall. You, you just can't juggle 10 balls as human beings. We're only designed to do one thing. Well, I talk about this, this uh, multitasking, how we're not designed to multitask. Computers don't multitask. <laughs> and yet we try to do it. Yeah, you know, we, we we try to do it, so we have to avoid multitasking. We have to be, you know, stay focused, do one thing at a time, focus our priorities on the most important things. This is like the habit three: put mm -hmm. first things first. My father used the analogy there, where he would have a jar, and he had big rocks, and he'd have pebbles, and he'd have sand yep. and water. And the only way to get all those elements in is to put the big, the big rocks, rocks in first. Yeah, 
And, and that's what we need to do is we need to prioritize and put the big rocks first. But to do that, we have to learn how to say no. And, and, and that's uh, hard. And accept it's very, very hard. Uh, I, I've become good at it, I think, because I've had a lot of training and I've, you know, I've, I, I, and, and I've had a lot of failures, you know, along mm-hmm. the way, but I, I've, I've learned now to, uh, you know, to, to, to how to say no and, and try to prioritize, but yeah, and that's, that's easy, hard, but that's hard. That's a big one for me. There's no yeah. doubt because all the busyness and that goes back into the, the four quadrants of doing a lot of things that are sometimes urgent, but not important. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And, and quadrant two, which are things that are important, but not urgent, mm-hmm. you have to act upon them, you know? So that's why I say, you know, and that's in, the focus. In my program, focus on your, your highest priorities in the morning, first thing in the morning. Why? Because that's when you're freshest, that's when you're sharpest, and you should focus on your big projects there. What do we do? We do the opposite of that. We get up, we start reading our email, we start looking at social media, and we get immediately caught up into the minutiae. Other people's, you know, emails is pretty much, most of it is other people's agendas. And that's fine. We're human beings. We need to interact with other people and help each other. But, you know, you have your projects too, and you're never going to be able to do those very effectively if you're always, you know, mm-hmm. too busy with, with other people's agendas. So and what and do you also tell too, people, too much email. What do you tell people who say, but I'm not a morning person? Uh, okay, that's fine. You had Winston Churchill, right? You know, he would, uh, he would work late and sleep, <laughs> sleep, sleep in and, and, uh, and then he'd have his afternoon nap as well. I, I, I think it's a fine. I, I think I, I say morning because I think most people can re- relate to the idea that you're yep. freshest when you wake up. Absolutely. Uh, but if you're, if your freshest time is at, you know, 9 PM, that's when you get your second life. Great. Do it then. So do your highest prior, uh, payoff activities during your peak time. That, that, that's the point. Yeah. That yeah. Per- perfectly said. Yeah. So let's talk about num- uh, number two, uh, yeah. trap number two. Yes. Trap number two is the procrastination trap. This is idling in the status quo. And uh, all of us have things that we know to, we know we need to change. In fact, I, I've asked this to audience all over the world, audiences. And I say, how many of you know that there's something in your work life that you need to change? You don't need to tell me what it is. But just raise your hand if that's the case. Everybody raises their hand. And I say, so why haven't you done it? And the reason why they don't do it is that change is hard. And, and, and it's much easier to kind of stay where we're at, stay in our status quo. But so it's not a matter of not knowing. It's just a matter of not doing. So this, this idea is, is uh, the procrastination trap is to say, look, we, we are procrastinating. We're postponing you know, the things that we need to change. And by the way, not only do humans do this, companies do this. Countries can do this. <laughs> this, is, this is a big problem for all of us because uh, I, I, I say companies, you know, I, I love to study like the Fortune 500 companies. And of course the Fortune 500 is the, you know, the highest revenue, you know, down to a certain level. I think you have to almost be like $5 billion now in revenue, even to make number 500 on the list. But they show that in the last, what was the study in the last 25 years, 75% of those companies are off the list that were on there 25 years ago. Why? Wow. The reason why is that they rest, they rest on their laurels and they, and they procrastinate the changes. So that the antidote to the procrastination trap is to reinvent. 
And it's the idea of changing before you have to change. And, okay. uh, and, uh, cause you're either going to be humbled by the force of circumstance, or you're going to be humbled by the force of conscience. Okay. And, and the idea is to change before you have to change. You know, so what, what, you know, in your mind and your head is telling you what you need to do. You probably need you, to do it. You need to do that. And if you don't do it and you keep neglecting it, guess what's going to happen? Circumstances are going to come up and, and, uh, and, and it's going to, f- and we're going to be forced to change. Yeah. And when we're forced to change, then, then we don't have really good options. You know, then, then we're applying it, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're get back to up. where we were. And it's hard. One of the companies that comes to mind as you're talking about that is uh, Harley Davidson. They, mm-hmm. uh, they had to know how to make that change because they had such a reputation in one way. And um, in the early 80s, they actually made that dramatic change. And they're still one of the largest selling companies uh, motorcycles today. Absolutely. And, 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 and there's a lot of great examples. You know, I love, uh, I, I love the example of Rocket Mortgage, you know, how they, yes. they have changed the whole, they reinvented the whole uh, mortgage industry. Why? Oh, absolutely. And being, it, spending 15 years in the mortgage business, I've watched how that's changed. That's yeah. amazing. And, 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 you know, the commercials are so funny, you know, they just make, make fun of all the acronyms that people use in the mortgage business, you know, and they say, you know what, we, we make the, you know, we take the, the complication out, you know, we mm-hmm. did, we, we make it easy and, and they've reinvented that whole process. So, so we need to do that for our own lives and, and, and our companies need to do that. And if we don't, uh, then we're going to, we're going to be up, we're going to be in for a rude, rude awakening. <laughs> yeah. So number three and correct me if I'm wrong, if I've seen a couple of things that you've talked about, the first three are kind of more in, intra views. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. They were more related to yourself as an, as, a, as, as an person. individual. They can go to the team and the organization. So number three is about ego. Yeah. What do you, what do you mean? This, this is the, the ego trap where we try to maintain this facade of perfection. So think about social media. You know, if you're ever on social media, you ever see anybody on Instagram <laughs> uh, what, t- tell me what you see. You see beautiful people, uh, wearing beautiful clothes or, or lack of clothes. <laughs> They're always on vacation. Uh, they have this, you know, so we create this perception or, or this facade that everything is perfect. And a lot of times we play it, we're risk averse. We play it too safe and we don't take enough risks and we, and we don't experiment. We don't try new things. And so this trap is really about not being so risk averse and taking chances and, 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 and experimenting and trying different things. And that's, that's kind of how we learn and that's how we grow and not to be embarrassed by that. And, and I think a lot of times, uh, you know, in, in our country, and I, I think this is also uh, in Asia, you know, I spent a lot of time in Asia, mm-hmm. you know, just the, you know, playing more of a risk adverse and, and, and not, not trying new and different things uh, in, in, our, uh, in our work interactions and, and in trying to get different results. So, so, so that, that's and that goes back to the entire automo- automobile industry back in the 70s. Yeah. You know how Japan changed everything about how they did it and all that. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we became flat footed and the big three, you know, became less relevant and, 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 mm-hmm. and we were behind the curveball. Yeah. So it's, it, it's very true. Uh, I, I love, 
Jeff Bezos, you know, what he talks about with Amazon, you know, he's, he's since left Amazon, you know, he's, he's not the CEO yep. anymore, but he was big on experimentation. And, uh, and, and he says, you know, uh, and if you know in advance that it's an experiment, it's not an experiment that it's going to work. It's not an experiment, you know? So, uh, I loved how sure. Google, uh, used to have where they said that, you know, you can spend 20% of your time on pet projects. Yeah. Yeah. And what what was created from there was uh, Google Earth, Gmail, and many other great creations that would not have happened. So I think and I'm sure I, there were some things that never got created because it's like, what's that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah, exactly. okay. Yeah. But but I but I think that you know we're not like that. Most of us most of us are trying to maintain this facade of you know mm -hmm. everything's great and perfect. And 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 the result of that is that we end up playing it too safe and, and and we don't we don't take enough risks in in our jobs and and as employers and as leaders we should be very uh open to people taking risks and instead of punishing those people we should actually praise those people and say look these are people that are trying new and different things and we want that we encourage that because that's how we get innovation right. that's how we get new creations yeah some people want to stifle it because they're afraid that somebody's going to take their job and that's, yeah. and that's, that's, that's just in my mind has no place. And that's one of the things I think Herb Keller, who was great at was Southwest as well. So he, yeah, he, he was great uh, in, in allowing people to be themselves, to have a personality, Yes, you know, without punishing. I also love Herb in the sense that I love how he was just so bold and saying, you know what? Employees are number one. Yep. Customers are number two. It's like, what? You know, it, it, I mean, he was the only person that was bold enough to say, you know, our employees are number one. And but then he came back and said, look, we take care of our employees. They'll take care of our customers. And if they take care of our customers, we'll, the finances the will follow. Shareholders will follow. Mm -hmm. But absolutely. I, I, I think we play it too safe and, and we try to maintain this facade. And I think yeah. that we shouldn't do that. I'll never forget walking through uh, Tampa Airport years ago. Uh, three flight attendants or a flight crew working together, two male, one female. And the two guys were going, they were singing songs, beach songs, and they had picked up the girl carrying her like a surfboard. And they were all singing it, walking through the airport. It just made everybody laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I was on a bus the other day in uh, uh, Disney World in Orlando and, uh, and the uh, car rental. And, and the driver on the, bus, on the bus was this woman that was just singing songs yeah. <laughs> and she would just sing these songs, you know, just bellow them out while she was driving. And she'd say, come on, everybody sing with me. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I love that. I, 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 I just love that. I mean, she, I mean, it was just so unforgettable, you know, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll never and it forget made you smile. her and her enthusiasm. Yeah. It made me smile, made me laugh. I, I sang with her, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I, and I think we, we just need more of that. I, uh, it was not long after 9-11, I was back on an airplane and the lines of security at that point were just massive. And I had my suitcase and I was sitting on my suitcase. I'd move it up a few minutes, sit there again. At one point, I was literally kind of falling asleep while sitting on my suitcase. <laughs> and all of a sudden, somebody came up from behind me and slapped me in the back of the head. <laughs> and I jumped up. I didn't know what was happening. I was, I was like, I got a fight. <laughs> and I, I couldn't help but laugh. It was two people from Southwest Airlines uh, dressed up like Lucy and Ethel. <laughs> and everybody, they, they were laughing at me because they knew that I had fallen asleep and just everything. 
I loved it. It was the funniest uh, that's thing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's 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 about getting out of there and allowing creativity to really open up. Yeah. In- innovation only comes through trial and error. Yeah. And uh, I, I, Ed Catmull it was the former CEO of Pixar. He talks about how early on the Pixar movies that they have, he says they suck. I'm using his words. And he says, our job is to make him go from suck to non-suck. And he says, the only way to do that is through iterations and experimenting and trying new and different things. So we like to ascribe that there's these natural people that are geniuses. You know, of course, Malcolm Gladwell wrote that, uh, you know, the 10,000 hour rule and, you know, the whole idea that, you know, it's, 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 yeah, there are people that have natural inclinations to certain things. But most of the time, it's hard work, yeah. and it's and it's their willingness to experiment. You know, the Beatles didn't show up at the Ed Sullivan Show in February 1964, and voila, they were just suddenly a sensation. They were since they were a, a sensation because they played in Hamburg for 16 months, two or three gigs a night. They played more in Hamburg in that 16 months than most bands will play in their whole life, and uh, and and that's really what's involved with us is is. We need to go through the iterations. We need to put in the hours and we need to have the willingness to experiment. Yeah. So yeah. the word for that, to overcome that trap, uh, the ego trap is to experiment. Experiment. Try, fail, learn, and repeat. So let's go back over the first three. Busyness, the way to get out of the busyness thing is to focus. Focus. And say no. Procrastination. Say, say, to... say no too is the second oh, part. Say no too. Focus yep. and yep. say no. Okay. Yep. Procrastination. How do we get out of that trap? Reinvent. Okay. Change before you have to change, right? Okay. Yeah. And then ego? Experiment. Experiment, experiment. Try Don't fail, be afraid to fail. Learn. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, Babe Ruth struck out more times than he hit home runs. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, even the greatest greatest of all in baseball, you fail 70% of the time, you're still in the Hall of Fame. Right. And, and there's the Michael Jordan quote. I won't give the exact numbers, right? But, you know, he talks about how many times he was given the chance to win, to take the, the winning shot and missed, yeah, you know, and it was, it was, you know, I don't know, something like 40 times or whatever. It was, it was a big number. Yeah. And yeah. He also understood how to give to exactly. the point and that's how they won a championship one time. Everybody knew he was going to go to Jordan and he passed. I know. And unfortunately it happened against my beloved Utah jazz in 1998, where he did kind of push off on B Russ. And then he went up for the shot and yeah. uh, crushed yeah. every uh, every heart of every Utah. Yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know we did have a guest on our show from the Utah Jazz, Mark Eaton. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah just before he passed. Yeah. 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 Literally, it was a few months before he passed away. I was oh, so bummed wow. when I heard that. What, what, a, what a phenomenal uh, human being he was. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get into the business side of things. Uh, trap number four is what? It's the trigger trap. So now we're talking, the next three traps are really our interactions with other people. Okay. So this, the, the trigger trap, we all have certain triggers, things that set us off. Okay. In fact, we do a little uh, assessment where people go through it and they can look at their triggers. And this is where we allow emotion to taint our perspective. And uh, what happens is our brain literally shuts off our prefrontal cortex, okay. you know, the decision part of our brain when we're triggered, that shuts off and we react. Now that made sense for our ancestors because when the dinosaur is coming at you, you know, your job was just to get out. 
and uh, and 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 react this you know this fight or flight. But a lot of us have these triggers at work, things that set us off, and we don't have a plan on how to manage it. And that's that's a big problem, and that can get us into a lot of trouble. And so we have to know what our triggers are in advance and uh, and manage it. I call it coming getting into our Zen place. You know, this is the, okay. you know, uh, happy Gilmore. Ha- get into your happy place. Remember, <laughs> come on, happy. <laughs> Carl Weathers was telling it, you know, uh, happy Gilmore to get into his happy place. We, we need to get it in our happy place, our Zen place, where we manage our triggers. I know my triggers and I have a specific plan that when I am triggered, I, I have a specific plan that I, that, that yeah. I use. And I, depending on the trigger, I'm the same way. Yeah. So we just got to figure out, we know what triggers us. What's something that triggers you? Uh, I'll give you a, this kind of an everyday life, uh, work life. I mean, uh, everyday life one. So one is slow drivers. I, I just, I can't stand slow drivers. I, I, I literally, and my wife keeps telling me, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, and it doesn't. So I do two things. I stop and I breathe. <sighs> Okay. doesn't matter. And then I make up a story as to why they're driving so slow. Oh, their husband must have just died or they failed the bar exam for the third time in a row. <laughs> I make up a story about how this asinine, stupid person can be driving so slow. And then mm-hmm. it helps me. It helps reframe me it. deal with that. And your father yeah. did the same thing in yeah. the seven habits about the children on the subway going crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that was an example of misjudging the situation mm-hmm. where he was just, you know, he, he was kind of judgmental and kind of irritated. But then when he found out more information, it was like, Oh, sympathy, empathy, you know, yes. how, how can I help you? It goes back so to the forth. emotional bank accounts and everything yeah. else. So yeah. the one for me at work is when people take credit for my work, that's a big trigger. Ooh. And, uh, and, you know, and, and I think work, you know, people at work can relate this, you know, you basically share an idea or something and then your boss or maybe a peer is now in a meeting and then they're, they're talking about the idea as if, as if it's their idea and they're not giving any attribution, you know, to the, wow. fact. And, 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 and it's not hard to do. All they have to do is just say, Hey, I was, you know, talking with David and he mentioned this idea and I, I further thought about it and came up with, you know, it, it's simple to give attribution, but a lot of times people don't do that. That's a trigger for me. So what I do is I very politely take the person aside after and I just, and say, you know, uh, I just want you to know that I, I uh, am, am bothered that, you know, that you're not acknowledging that I had some part in the idea that you're suggesting and you're just suggesting it as your idea only. And I don't think that's accurate. So I would appreciate if you would give some attribution to and that's much easier said than done. It is. It is much easier said to done, especially when it's your boss. Uh, but I find that if you do it in a respectful way, uh, that, that most, most of the time that they will agree to do that if they don't do it. And I've had that as well. Uh, I will insert myself. Oh yeah. Yeah. This was the idea I talked with you about. You remember in front of others. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and so it's like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going to just sit there and be stampede right. uh, on this when I, I have, I've contributed to that and, and I've given you the feedback and 
you're not willing to do that. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up. Yeah. Fair game. And, and so what, what's the alternative to that? Not to say anything, just get offended, just get mad. And then you have all that anger seething and it builds it up, you know, builds up and builds up. And then one day, you know, you do something really stupid because uh, you have all this pent up, you know, anger. Yeah. And, and you, know, you may end so, up walking out on the job and just quitting. And that, and, 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 and does that need to happen? No. Most of the time, honestly, I think that uh, some managers and some leaders are just not aware of that. And they haven't had people have those, you know, crucial conversations with them about that. And so, uh, so I, 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 uh, I, I feel so strongly about that, that I'm, I'm not afraid to have those conversations, yeah. but they're not easy. No, they're absolutely not. Now, number five, or yeah, yeah number five. Yeah. So number this, five. This is one. This this is one that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Okay, so so. It's, it's the silo trap. This is where we operate as an independent on a team, and I think that uh, a or lot of sometimes us, in, in, uh, one team is operating independently of others and not understanding how to work as a cog. That and you can also have a, a functional team that doesn't operate as a team. You know, <laughs> you have individuals on that. Yeah. That are working independently and they're not working interdependently. I like to think of it like a jigsaw puzzle. A jigsaw puzzle is the vision of what you're trying to create. Okay. okay? And everybody has to know that this is the Taj Mahal. Okay. If that's the jigsaw puzzle you're working right. on. Right. And uh, what happens though, is that a lot of people, because they don't talk about the mutual vision and they don't, you know, discuss it enough, some people think that they're working on the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and, and so you got it, you got to have this mutual vision that you get your, that you're around and what you're building. And that's what helped bring collaboration. The reason why there's not a collaboration is that there's not this mutual vision of where we're headed. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, studies that have shown that a lot of people don't understand the strategy of the company. And even worse, they don't understand what they do every day, how that connects to the strategy. Right. So our job as leaders is to be able to create this mutual vision of where we're headed, show them, hey, we're going to do the, we're, we're doing the Taj Mahal puzzle and we need everybody behind it. And here's your role. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to do this, this end of the puzzle, you know, for in building this. And, uh, and that helps us avoid doing this work. But look, we're, 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 naturally inclined to, you know, work independently, even think independently. We even hold the independence up as this highest virtue. This is where my father's work in seven habits said, look, there's dependency, there's independence and there's interdependence. So he was holding up interdependence as the highest value, the right. we, and it is, mm -hmm. but yet, you know, we talk about being financially independent, you know, there, there's so much, especially in our, in our American culture about, you know, the pinnacle of success is, is this being at this independent level. Yeah. And it's not, no, there's not, you know, and it, we've got to learn to work together because John Kennedy's great quote, a rising tide raises all ships. That's right. You know, when we start thinking that direction, um, the founder Cavett Robert of the national speakers association said for years, uh, don't worry about getting a bigger piece of the pie. Just make the pie bigger. When we <laughs> do that and we work that way, it's much, much stronger. Absolutely. So, so the answer to the silo trap is collaboration and, yeah. and, and, and seeing the value of the team. And, and uh, you gave the perfect example, John F. Kennedy, think about 
you know, what he said, we're going to put a man on the moon before the end of the century and bring him home safely. Well, they didn't have a clue how they were going to do it. Exactly. But he created the vision. Yes. And then what happened is that you had the collaboration before that you had Eisenhower and say, we're going to be the world's uh, leader in space exploration. What does that mean? Yeah. Okay. There, so there's, there was no compelling vision, but putting a man on the moon and bringing him back to the earth before the end of the century, that was not only a vision, but it was a vision with a deadline. Yes. <laughs> and and, yeah. and that, that's what brought about the collaboration. You and know? he also built in there the why, which is what Simon Sinek goes into. Yep. With, it starts with why. That's right. And the power behind that. And as human beings, the why is critical because if I don't understand why I'm doing something, my heart's not in it. And if your heart's not in it, your heart's not in it, then you're going to get the compliant me who is operating on three of six cylinders. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only giving you, I'm only giving you half, half, half of my effort. Yeah. And your level of commitment's not going to be nearly as strong. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. So collaboration comes in. Yep. Number six. So number six is the settling trap. And this is where we lose the passion, our passion and inspiration in our professional work. And, uh, when you think about the work that we do, it's important that four areas are, are met, four needs are met. Mm -hmm. First of all, we need to be paid well. Okay, that's, that's need number one. Need number two is our mind needs to be engaged and utilized. Number three is our heart. You know, we need to have passion around what we do. And number four is that uh, our, our spirit We've, we need to feel like we're contributing, that we're making a difference. Steve Jobs used to say that we're putting a dent in the universe, right? That we matter, that if we got hit by the bus tomorrow, it would matter that we weren't there. And so those are the four needs, you know, our, our uh, stomach, you could say, you know, we need to be fed. Our mind needs to be engaged. Our heart needs to be engaged and our spirit. And we you need, we need to feel like we're contributing and making a difference. And the reason why we have disengagement is because one of those four needs are not met. And when people leave companies, they don't leave because of pay. Like a lot of people think they right. leave because they're firing their immediate supervisor. And the reason why they're firing their immediate supervisor is they don't feel like their immediate supervisor cares about them. Maybe they don't listen enough to them. Yep. Maybe they don't give them enough projects that they're passionate about. And they don't explain the why about why we're doing this and what contribution this is going to make. So, so, so it's the idea that the, the antidote to this, it's the settling trap, the settling, right. the settling trap. And the antidote to it is, is this wholeness looking at this whole person perspective. You know, that we're and more than just... Uh, and I see that when it's the leader can do that. What can I do as the employee so that I'm not settling? Well, I have, uh, I have a brother-in-law that was, went to school and, and got an engineering degree. But along the way, he had a friend that had a tuxedo business. And he decided that he was going to go into the tux tuxedo business for a year, just for a little while. Well, 25 years later, he was still at the tuxedo business. Why? Because he got married. He started having kids. He started becoming dependent upon that check. And he lost his vision. You know, he lost his passion and inspiration for in his professional work. 
he, he's since discovered that he's left the tuxedo business or the tuxedo business left him. You know, it's not, <laughs> not really, it's sure. not like what it was, you know, back in the eighties. Yep. And uh, he's now building uh, airplanes. He loves what he's doing. Okay. But we often fall into this career comfort zone. So what we can do as individuals, you're asking, don't settle. There's, there's jobs out there that will pay you fairly, that will utilize your mind and, your, and, and engage your heart and will give you a purpose for why we're doing it, you know, a vision mm-hmm. and, and the why. And if you're in a job that's not like that and you have a boss that doesn't seem to care about helping you fulfill your potential and, and having these four needs met, then you have options. You know, you have tons of options. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking and reading about how a lot of people are not going back to work. You know, they're trying some different things. And I think it may be a big part of that is, is that maybe they weren't fully engaged. You know, each of these areas weren't fully being yeah. met. Yeah. And, and the disengagement is it's not just in the U.S., it's globally. There is active or somewhat disengagement all over the world. And, and it's because one of these four not, needs not being met. So my, my, my answer to, the, to what your question is, don't settle. Don't settle okay. as, as, a, as a leader and having people that are not uh, fully engaged and don't settle as an individual in a job uh, that is, uh, that is the job that's not going to take you where you want to be. And in the meantime, you've got to make sure you're still giving your best to the job that you've got. Of course. That's, that's key. There's um, a song that Jimmy Buffett made very popular, written by Mac McAnally called It's My Job. Yep. And he talks about a street sweeper. And the power of the street sweeper. There's also a great quote by the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talking about the street sweeper and doing his job the best way possible. We've got to recognize that we've got to do our jobs the best that we possibly can. And as I saw Mac McAnally recently, he said, if you do the best job you can today at a job that sucks, it's just a path to a job that sucks less till you get to the job that you love. Yeah, I like that. And, and, And again, I'm not advocating everybody leave their job. No. And, and, and sometimes people think, well, what do you want me to do? Well, no, I want you to influence it and say, look, mm-hmm. I, I acknowledge that these are these four areas and, and, and look where you're deficient and yeah. then try to make an impact in your current environment yeah. to try to impact those changes. And Zig a lot of times you did that, that very well with people. Yeah. 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 You, you, you can do that with people. I think that when leaders hear, hear that, uh, you know, Hey, I need to be more involved or, I, mm-hmm. I, I need to be more engaged or hey, can you give me a project I'm, uh, you know, I'm more passionate about? Can I, can I take on that project? Most of the time they'll, they'll, they'll say, yes, they'll say, okay, yeah, of course. But we yeah. have to, we have to give that feedback. Isn't that also kind of lending us now to the seventh trap? Yeah. <laughs> set up there. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it's the myopia trap where, uh, where we fail to see the big picture. And it's not only us as individuals, but it's the myopia trap, the companies that don't provide the line of sight to their employees. So uh, if we are uh, just focused on our job and we don't connect it back to the strategy of the company and the results of the company, then we're, we're operating in the myopia trap. We're operating in yeah. this too small of a focus where we're just, you know, we're just looking through this lens of glasses, you know, that that is, is just too narrow. We need to open up our minds and we need to see the big picture. So as, as individuals at the company, we need to make sure that we understand what we do 
and how it connects to the strategy and how it connects to the results. And when we do that, we have the why. We understand the why now. Okay, that's pretty important. For a company, the company's job is to make sure that they communicate the strategy over and over and over again so that their people know what the strategy is and they know how they contribute, how, how each of, their, of the team members contribute to the strategy. Mm-hmm. So the company can do a better job in communicating the strategy and communicating the why and the vision of where we're headed. And a and lot of times leaders think, oh, I've done that. Well, no, you don't do that at the first of the year and you're done. <laughs> this is something that you do all the time. Right, right. And that ties right. back into the core values. If you communicate your strategy and you focus on your core values, then you're going to start to drive it all. Right, Yeah. exactly. And, wow. and the other thing too is this, this whole idea is that we can actually even, I mean, we can do our job, but we can actually, if asked, we can even go above and beyond. I think of Jim Delagotti, uh, the guy that created the Big Mac, right? He was uh, in Pennsylvania and he had this idea for the Big Mac. He went to his boss and his boss said, ah, I'm not sure. And eventually he kept persisting, but eventually they tried his idea, the two layers, you know, two layer buns. Two all patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, yeah, exactly. on a sesame seed bun. You got it. <laughs> and that was Jim Delagotti. That wasn't his job to do it. Uh, I think of post-it notes. Okay. We all have post-it notes. Yep. Uh, Arthur Fry. You know what the story is there? Oh, yeah. Arthur Fry was going to church and he had a hymnal. And he put papers, pieces of paper in the hymnal during the week. And then when he went to church on Sunday, those papers fell out. So he went to his friend at 3M and said, hey, can you help make my paper sticky? <laughs> now, it wasn't Arthur's Fry job to do that, but he had a problem in his life and he yep. wanted to solve it. And he get, and eventually uh, 3M created this product called uh, Post-it Notes, which we all use. Yep. Uh, but, but the point is, is that not only, so I call it elevate. This is where we elevate above and beyond uh, what our, our role is. And, and, and as human beings, we have that, we have that creativity. As we mentioned the example with Google, when people are given 20% of their time, how they can come up with new creations and new ideas. That's just fascinating. You know, I just looked at the clock and we have been going for almost 50 minutes here. And it's like, wow. Um, you got to quit talking, Greg. You just keep going <laughs> on and on. <laughs> oh my gosh. We could definitely go on for more and more on this one with, without a doubt. You know, it's been a privilege to have you here on our podcast. The podcast is uh, the teamwork advantage. And our whole goal is to help people understand how to increase teamwork, leadership, and culture. And every week when you listen to our show, guess what? You get ideas that you can implement immediately. Please be sure to hit the subscribe, the like button down below. Tell your friends about it. Tell your friends about David's, uh, his book, The Trap Tales, Outsmarting the Seven Hidden Obstacles to Success. And you can pick that book up, I'm assuming, just anywhere you get books. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay. And so, David, again, thanks very much for joining us here on the podcast. Um, Until next week, folks, remember, having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. 
Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the teamwork advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.